Ty Prey. He's a native of St. Louis, Missouri. Has over 15 years of preaching experience. He is a 2004 graduate from the Memphis School of Preaching, holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Nutrition from East Carolina University. He comes from us from the Frisco congregation. We serve as an evangelist as one of the elders. Since the inception of the Gospel Broadcasting Network in 2005, Brother Todd has been regular panelist in GBN's Questions and Answer program, a frequent panelist on the fabric of the family. He has a preached, conduct retreats, and spoken at lectureships in two different states. He and his wife, Rose Felton, has been married for almost 28 years. They have two young uh, sons, Michael's 24, a graduate of Wichita State University, in 2022, and Noah, 21, who's a senior at Texas Tech University, Reckham. And Ty also coordinate the Bear Valley Inter International School and French-speaking region in Mago, Mago Cameroon. Come preach to us, brothers. Let me say thank you for those kind and humble words, and I'm very thankful to be invited to come over and to speak with the brethren here at McDermott and to have this good turnout tonight for uh, our summer series and to Brother Wes and to the faithful brethren that teach and are effective in encouraging the congregation here. I want to commend you, commend you for your steadfast faithfulness and your love for the Lord. Appreciate the wonderful singing and I want to say of all that introduction, the very best part of me is Rose. <laughs> and I'm very thankful that she can be here tonight. 586-606 and 402, around that time, B.C., is a time of the Babylonian captivity. I notice here on the theme for Vacation Bible School, there it is, the name Babylon. It's a name with which we are familiar, but those dates and the history of those dates sometimes are only familiar to those who are lovers of biblical history. But if I say things like, leave it to Beaver, how many people know what that is? If I mention things like Elvis, Chuck Berry, Sam Cooke, who knows who those people are? 1950, 1950, it's about the time of those media stars and of that television program and the things that were going on approximately 70 years ago. Can you imagine that you've been taken from where you are in 1950, taken to another land that you never knew, to your enemies and made a home there, your names changed, everything that was connected to God stripped away from you, and then you return. If you were to return back to Texas, would you even be called a Texan again? Your parents were Texan, but are you a Texan? We know there were generations born in Babylonian captivity that never knew of Jerusalem, never knew of the powers of God. We know that during the Babylonian captivity, they only had the messages from the synagogue, which were the customs and traditions of the Jewish rabbis. We know that it was a time of pain, a time of loss and grief. And so don't get me misunderstood. This is an encouraging lesson, amen? It's not one about death, but I think it's important for us at the outset to know that as Christians, we have to be acquainted with death. What I simply mean by that is, the day or the hour, no man knows when he'll enter into eternity. The very last time that I was in Cameroon in October, before the last time, I preached there for two weeks, worked with the brethren there, worked with the staff, preached that Sunday, and a brother that was sitting right there in the audience as I preached the very next day, he died, a tree fell and killed him. 
And they found him out in the farm where he worked. And the brother who's the director and the preacher of the preaching school and the, and the preacher in the congregation told me, I have to go, we have a funeral. Five days later, another sister in the congregation passed away. We don't know how precious today is. We don't know the blessing of safety until it's removed. And as human beings, sometimes we, we miss that part of encouragement and joy that suffering is connected to joy. I think it's attributed to Benjamin Franklin who says, we don't know the worth of water until the well runs dry. No man hungered ever saw bad bread. <laughs> There's something about that connection to being without that we have the joy when we receive. We'll go into a little more background, and I'm going to hasten because I don't have a lot of time. Nehemiah is what we'll be studying tonight. The people had a mind to work. Nehemiah. At the outset, I want you to think about this great book and the three audiences with which we must pay attention. First is the audience that received the letter. Some attributed to Ezra. I am of the mind that it was Nehemiah himself. And it was sent to those who had returned from Babylonian captivity to encourage them that those who love God had held faithful through all of this sacrifice, all of this oppression and persecution, and return to restore the walls and eventually the temple and eventually the city of Jerusalem back to God. It was a legend in some respects because they had not seen it, but they took it as fact. And so there is the audience that received the book of Nehemiah. There's also the audience of us who received this book directly from God as an encouragement to be faithful workers, to have these attributes that I see in a leader of Nehemiah. And that first attribute is his humility, his humility. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, Psalm chapter 137 and verse 1 speaks of those who were praying, and one of which we are studying tonight, Nehemiah. Psalm 137 and beginning verse 1. The Bible reads, By the rivers of Babylon they were set down, yea, were wept, when we remembered Zion, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they carried us away, captive, required of us a song, that they wasted us, required of us myrrh, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. These great cities like Babylon and Shushan and being in a place beyond the Tigris River, it's hard to have a reference point. This is approximately 90 miles from Jerusalem. If you think about it from Frisco, it's about 90 miles to Corsicana. So this is a great distance if you're thinking about traveling in medieval times or in ancient Bible times. It took them months, weeks, say, maybe, to travel to this place. So for them, this might as well be halfway around the world because they didn't have that motive and speed of transportation. But hearing this, you can see that he heard the rumor. You can see how this information came to him after being away from his homeland. Now, most biblical scholars believe that Nehemiah was born in captivity. He had not seen for himself. He was not taken of himself. And I don't argue with that. But knowing and hearing about from all those around him, from his family, from those who are leaders, from those who they looked to to give them insight when everything they knew was stripped away. 
It's difficult to think about the pain that comes to our lives when sin strips away everything that's good. Amen. Sin strips it away and it doesn't prepare you for it. It just happens. I go along a certain amount of time and then it just hits me. Just a few weeks ago, say a month ago, terrible tragedy happened in Allen. Eight precious souls of which three precious children lost their lives in an instant. And countless others that we don't even know recorded have been injured severely and had long-term injuries to recover from something that happened to an, in an instant that they were totally innocent of. But what was amazing is as I got an opportunity to volunteer there and see droves and droves of people come and weep and pray and leave flowers and leave notes and leave teddy bears and, and saw some of those notes I saw personally firsthand from three-year-olds saying, you're not alone. God is with you. And to think about how that affected them, put yourself in that mind of that kind of loss, and then as we read, what was Nehemiah's reaction when he heard this news? Verse 3, And they said unto me, The remnant are the left of the captivity that are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. It hurt to hear about a pain he didn't personally experience, but he experienced it vicariously, knowing of his people. They were hurting. They were suffering. They had experienced this pain. How did he respond? He responded not as the angry superhero that we see in Avengers. Well, let's go and, and get a big group. and We're going to go and take over. No, he reacted as a servant of God would. He bowed down to the place of the greatest power, and that is God. When a Christian bows down before the throne of God, God hears, and he answers. That's what's amazing. The one that created all that is and all that ever will be will listen to you personally, your desires. Nehemiah knew he had the ear of Jehovah he says, I sat down, I wept, I mourned certain days, I fasted, I prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, observe and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Now, that's powerful. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for all the brethren I see, and I'm praying for myself, the sins which we have sinned against thee. Brethren, you know how hard it is today for an adult to say I'm sorry? Amen. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. Pass someone or let them pass you and you not get over just fast enough in the line in Walmart. And see how easily they say sorry. Let someone jump in front of you and take a parking spot. See how easily they say, oh, you can take it first. No. Our world is you get what you want and you get it quickly because there's not enough. We are a selfish people in a self-indulgent universe. We as Christians have to run contrary to that idea. We must see ourselves in connection with our relationship to God. I cannot encourage you until I lift you up. That's what humility is. 
Brethren, so many people in our world today see religious as just an act, as just some institution, and we are so much more than that. We are so much more than these four walls and a roof. We are the people of God. The Bible has told us that God dwells in us. And so how then ought my attitude to be toward you as a servant of God? I ought to see you more precious than I see myself. That was Jesus' attitude. Jesus gave up everything in heaven to come down, not to be served, but to serve us. He emptied himself and took on the form of lowly, feeble man. The Bible says a servant. Later in that same chapter, it says, what's the attitude of Jesus? Have this mind that was also in Christ Jesus. Look not each to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Do everything without arguing or grumbling. Tried that lately? That's real humility. Humility is never being humiliated. There's a distinction. Don't let the world tell you you're being walked over and you're just a doormat because you consider someone else above yourself. No, you're just following the example of Christ. A leader has more concern in his heart for the people he serves than the praise he might receive from them. Amen? That's a godly person. Our world is a contrast. Who do we praise? We praise the strong. We praise the intelligent. We praise the rich. We praise the powerful. Take a pause for a minute and see what kind of leader Nehemiah was and the impact his humility had. It had an impact because the people listened. He prayed to God for the opportunity. Note, with the opportunity came a responsibility. Nehemiah realized he was praying for the opportunity to do this work. Now, he didn't know he personally was going to go until the building of the wall was made available. Verse 9, he says, But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though thou were of you cast out in the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by the strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee. Note, thy humility, he went up. Think about that. He went up by lowering himself. Brethren, if the church is to have the impact in this place, in this community, whether it's Plano, whether it's Frisco, whether it's any of the surrounding areas, we are going to have to reduce ourselves and look to the needs of our brethren, of our families, of our community. They need to see more of Christianity in us than the world. They can't see politics. They can't see classism. They can't see affluence. All those things have to be stripped by self. That's the hardest part of humility is telling no to myself. <laughs> because self always says, I want it and I want it now. Went to a marriage seminar. They said, here's 10 things you do to do your marriage better. Okay, if I do those 10 things, when do it get better? 30 days? 90 days? No, you're going to have to keep working on this. Your whole marriage? That's patience. It doesn't come like that. Everything we think about as Christians is instantaneous, except our faithfulness and our humility. It is a long-term commitment. We have to change our mindset. 
Humility is about being able to see a problem in the reality and also having a love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 and following. Love believes all things. Do you give everyone the benefit of the doubt? Humility says you will. Bears all things. Are you willing to be the person to say, I'm sorry first, forgive easily, put up with, tolerate, not try to change it, not try to make it the way you want, not try to make it better, but you endure and show the love of God through difficult situations at work, at school, at home, with your neighbors, in your own relationships, God forbid, with your children. Wow. If I had to say four or five times to my sons to do something, it wasn't a good day. <laughs> That's part of being a parent. They need constant attention. But then I said, oh, wait a minute. God has to tell me 10 times every hour. Did you not read what I told you about humility, about patience, about forgiveness, about long-sufferingness, kindness, courtesy, respect? Oh, yeah, you were serious about that, God. Nehemiah understood this role he took on was not just for him personally. Note something that's impressive about Nehemiah's humility is that he did not seek to have the credit. Look at chapter 2. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king, and now it had been a before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city and the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to God of heaven. Here it comes. Here it comes. Brethren, think about how many times we have an opportunity to do good. Do we stop and pray first? Do we have a praying mindset about the good things that are going to happen? Or that we see happening in our career, in our family, with our children, with the church? This attitude says, I'm looking to see good and I'm looking to find it. And when I find it, I'm going to praise it. I'm going to say something good first. I tell my wife this all the time. She deserves the very best version of myself. What does God deserve of you? I can't give anyone else good until I'm right with him. Until I have this attitude to say, Lord, I want to know your purpose for my life today and now. And I'm ready to do something. Not make you do it for me. Give me the opportunity, and when the opportunity comes, let me have the strength, the conviction, the wisdom to be effective. You know what God says? I already gave you that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We've been, getting every, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything. Have anybody figured out life, no matter how rich or educated? No, ask Solomon. At the end of everything he had, all of the education a human being could have, all the wealth, every physical indulgence. He said, vanity is vanity. It's all nothing without God. The end of the matter, fear God, keep his commandments. Nehemiah demonstrated that in his life. He gets his opportunity to return to Jerusalem with the decree of Artaxerxes. Verse 9, then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Samballot, Horonite, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. 
Here's the second idea is unity. Second idea, the people had a mind to work because of unity. You heard this commercial, no squeegee, no gas. You seen that commercial? The guy goes to use a squeegee and he says, no gas, no squeegee. We live in a world that says, if you don't give something, you don't get anything that I don't get for free. I can't get it for free, you can't get it for free. We live in that world. Somebody has to make it right because you got it and I didn't. And that is the self-destructing effect of unity. Here was Samballot. Who were these men? Samballot and Tobiah, the Ammonite. These were Jewish leaders who were present in Jerusalem. Scholars understand now that even with the Babylonian captivity, some Jews escaped and were able to remain in Jerusalem. Some may have returned even sooner than Nehemiah. And those, of course, who get there first get to be in charge. Amen. That's our human way of doing things. And so they saw a threat. Why are you coming to tell us we need to get this together? Been in a group meeting. Been on a Zoom meeting. And you see a problem. And you send a message to point it out and people act like, who is he talking to? <laughs> we don't want to be told we made a mistake. We don't want to be told, certainly by you, that we've messed up. But unity is all about being humble enough to see I can do better. Look at Romans chapter 6 for just a moment. Sometimes we don't think of the context of this verse in connection with unity. But I want you to think about it from the standpoint of these things that decrease our desire for unity. Romans chapter 6 is a chapter we refer to often when it comes to sin and its divisiveness. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 16. Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Now it's true that sin is a master and it's an evil taskmaster. It takes us away from everything that we could be, everything that we will be. But at the center of every sin is selfishness. I want to be in charge. I want to get the credit. These men were not willing to get that up. And they were willing to compromise unity to maintain the status quo. Right now, brethren, we are so blessed just to be sitting together in this building without masks. Amen. <laughs> To be sitting right by one another and not worried. Why'd you cough? What's wrong with you? Stay over there. Six feet. <laughs> Remember that? But how easily we get to the point where we say, oh man, can they turn the air up? I'm up here sweating. All these things we start to complain about because those immediate circumstances have changed. These men saw Nehemiah as a threat. Why? They saw him as a threat because the power the influence that they wielded was the substance of who they were. If I think of myself more highly than I ought to think, how am I going to think of you? Romans chapter 12, verse 3. How am I going to think of you? You're always beneath me. I'm always looking down these eyeglasses and nose at you beneath me. And yet unity says, I need you. Amen. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. We're all baptized into one body. Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Any distinctions in the church? 
in the body of Christ? Absolutely not. If there are distinctions, we have inserted them. And it's sad. Sad in our nation that we have such an issue with class. The wealthy, the poor. We have such an issue with race. We have such an issue with power and position. Who is going to be on top and who is going to maintain? Do I go to the best congregation? The congregation where most of the people are of this certain income level. You don't think those things have an influence? The devil will use them. Don't look back at these men. That's my whole point and say, I'm not like that. Examine your heart and see maybe there are some things God is trying to speak to me about my own sense of unity. And instead of saying, I wish we could get together, what am I doing to draw us closer? Look at, from a, look at it from a contrast. Now we're in chapter 4, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sabbath heard we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. He spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they re revive the stones of the, out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? So the Samaritans were the powerful nation that remained. Got Babylon way over there in Corsicana. And now here in Samaria, they're the powerful nation. So these Jews who were still left, they said, okay, you can take and start to build, but you're going to build up whatever we give you as the leftovers. And they got satisfied with that because that's what they thought all they could get and all they deserve. One of the things that causes disunity among brethren is this thinking. We have all that we can get. I'm happy worshiping just like I am. I'm not willing to change. I don't want to sing different songs. I don't want to worship at a different time. I don't want to be gathered together. I want the children to go over here and I want to be here. All of these things that I, I, I want, a lot of times conflict with what God wants. What's best for the congregation. And sometimes even what's best for me. I miss it. They were so interested in protecting themselves with what they saw as the powerful nation, Samaria, that they were willing to throw their brethren under the bus. Now you say churches today would never do that. That is until you need to hire a new preacher. And he's from the school of preaching that you don't like. <laughs> and 10 of the people in the congregation want him from this school. See what happens. See the distinction. Just change where you sit in a congregation and see how people get uncomfortable. <laughs> Unity is not easy. This is something that takes work. It's the reaction of Nehemiah that has the effect and that we take note of. Even after this terrible rumor and ugliness that these men throw toward Nehemiah, he saw this not as him as the personal leader. You have insulted me but you have insulted God. Look at verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah showed them the way to work is to work together. Now, Let's go forward by going backwards. 
Look at chapter 3. Nehemiah was an incredible leader because he saw a place for everyone to get plugged in and to work. Let's just start in verse 6. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Pesah, and Meshulam, and the son of Beseda. And they laid the beams thereof and set upon the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. Next unto them repaired the Melatite, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the the Maronotite, and the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah unto unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river. Next unto him repaired Uzel and the son of Hanai of the goldsmith. Next unto him, and he keeps going, next unto them, next unto them. But note here in verse 13. It says the valley gate repaired Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah, and they built it and set up on the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. That sounds just as bad as it smells. <laughs> now, when it comes to unity, it's a job for everybody, but nobody wants the trash gate. <laughs> nobody wants the gate where it smells. Nobody wants the gate where I'm going to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants a gate where all the attention is not going to be placed on the work that I'm doing. You only have so many gates. It's only one front gate. But if you want to have a temple and you want to have something you can live in, you absolutely have to have a dung gate. Where that refuse and those things that are uncomfortable and ugly, they have to be put out. Think about how that compares to Romans 6. Sin is the refuse of my soul. It is causing my soul to decay with a stench that God smells. And yet we grow nose blind to it. We grow to this point where we are able to ignore it. Because for a time, sin makes me comfortable. Sin makes me feel good. Sin abates my fears for a while. Sin appeases this pain for a while. Why do we as human beings turn to impulsive behaviors, alcohol and drugs, cheating, lying, sexual immorality? Most of those things stem out of what I mentioned before. Sin is affecting and diseasing our souls, and this is our reaction to it. Now, anyone that's been in any type of recovery, whether it's alcohol or drugs, will tell you, if you go back to alcohol, not only did you not solve your current problem, you took on another one. God wants us to be a people of joy, to come out of the suffering. The people had the humility, they had the unity, they had the intensity. Turn to chapter 8 quickly. We're not going to have enough time to get through all the material I have. So let's spend these last few moments focused on, I think, what is a key part of this. Nehemiah chapter 8 and beginning verse 6. Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse number six, and Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God and all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up of their hands and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Benani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Achab and Shabbatai and Hodiah and Maserai and Kelatai and Azariah and Josah and Hena and Pila and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave them the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Cherishite, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, they taught the people and said unto the people, This day is holy unto 
the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Brethren, when we finally get revealed to us the blessings and the joy of what it is to be a Christian, it causes you to weep because you're so happy, amen? There is no other place that I have ever been happier in this life than among brethren. There is no other place that I'm convinced I ever will be. The sad part about it is we miss it because we have grown accustomed to the suffering. Was there a new condition other than the fact that the people had been removed from the reading of the law? They had been removed from the comfort, the wisdom, the words that are precious. There are words that just speak to our heart. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We sing those songs and it encourages us and it builds us up with joy. Did it change the problems? No. It just shined the light of God upon it. And if God's light is there, the people of God can do anything they commit their heart to. That's the intensity. That's the desire of propensity. We must be a people who want this more than we want anything else. Because God says if you want something else, that's exactly what you'll get. You won't get this unity. You won't get this triumph. You won't get this peace. You won't accomplish these great things for me and for the kingdom. We have to ask ourselves a question, brethren. Where do we stand with God? Look at one last passage with me. Psalm chapter 147. The psalmist, this is not a psalm attributed to David, but the psalmist is writing during the same chronological time of this return. Psalm 147, verse 1. Think about the words. This is in chapter 10, so please read this on your own as well. This is a celebration of the beauty of God, the comfort, the fact that God gives and he fulfills and he comforts. Psalm 147, verse 1, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart, bringeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord. Great is our Lord. Great is our Lord. And great power, his understanding is infinite. That's who we serve. Brethren, preachers are called to do a lot of things in our generation. We're called to be great orators in a society where oration has become professional. There was a time in the West, I guess you could say in America, where preaching was the preeminent thing that you'd hear great oration. Now you can turn on YouTube and, and hear professional orators who are so skilled in what they speak. There are tons of viral videos on TED Talk. And so having an entertaining and all-consuming of your attention preacher, well, there's very few that can do that as preachers. But sometimes the things that make for a viral video are not in keeping with God's commands, what is to be preached. Brethren, if this does not motivate you, if this does not speak to your heart as a Christian, Maybe we need some time of meditation. Maybe we need some time to really think about 
where we are with God. Let's pray silently for just one minute. Let's pray together. Brother, we live in a world where we're just sitting still and closing our eyes. We are so overwhelmed, as Brother Will prayed, that we can't help but fall asleep just because we took a minute to sit still. We took a minute to close our eyes. We're so used to every second of our lives being captured. No space for stillness. All of the attention, something to keep me from being bored, that we can miss these kind of precious truths. I want you to promise me something tonight. I want you to go back this evening, or at least in the next couple of days, and read the rest of this book, especially chapter 10, and think about the words that these ancient brethren describe of God and his beauty and take a moment to pray silently. Now, for some of us, it takes practice because you're going to sit still and you're going to be thinking of praying the same thing over and over again. That's okay. That's normal. It's not a question of faith. Certainly not a distinction of maturity. But it ought to be a moment for us to collect our thoughts and focus our minds on God and on the work that he's called for you and I to do. Part of that work is loving one another. Part of that work is loving your family. Part of that work is loving the brethren. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, truly great is thy faithfulness. Steadfast is your love. And we humble ourselves before you because we know the power of thy word to prick our hearts. Father, I'm so thankful for every precious soul that's here and those that are tuning in and will tune in through the internet. I'm thankful, Father, because these words can pierce through the digital media. They pierce through us here present and they strike at our soul. They strike at our spirit and they encourage us to think with humility, to think with unity and to think with intensity about the work that is set before us as servants of thine. Father, the borders of your kingdom still need to be spread abroad. So much broader than the small town of Jerusalem. Now into all the uttermost parts of the earth, we have to be a people willing to sacrifice. To sacrifice not just for ourselves, but to be leaders where we are. To think about the divine beauty of thy goodness and thy mercy that we've been inspired to focus for just this few moments on in this great book, Nehemiah. Thank you, Father for the faithful men and women like Nehemiah and Ezra and those who held, held fast to the love of the truth, the love of the words of Moses, those forerunners of the great message that we now receive through Christ, the gospel. And then now, Father, we as humble servants ask for your wisdom. We confess our sins, Lord, and we ask for your help because it's 
life is overwhelming, the simple managing of our day-to-day existence can sometimes just be too much. Help us, Lord, not to lose our confidence. Help us, Lord, not to lose our assurance because you are the God of wisdom. You are the God of stillness and peace. You are the God of love and affection and mercy and tenderness. We're thankful, Father, to be reminded of your comfort, your protection, that you do truly fulfill your promises. Most of all, Father, we're thankful that the work is not yet done, that the borders of your kingdom will be expanded, that your word will go out and not come back void. And We're thankful for the love that we have of every brother and sister that can hear my voice. We're thankful, Father, that although we come from different spaces and different walks of life, we're all one through Christ. Help us to have the humility to look to one another and lift one another up, to identify that which is positive and good and to focus upon that goodness. Father, especially help us to be patient. Grant us a measure, Father, of kindness and tender mercy. And Father, be merciful toward us. We have so many things that we can change and and do better in. We can be a better example. We can be better in our words. We can be better in our thoughts. God, everything that we do, that it might be honorable and pleasing before thy throne. In Jesus' name we all pray. Let us all say amen.